and we can take that photo off. Okay, good. I don't want to distract you guys the whole time. First <laughs> Samuel chapter 2, as we're going through this amazing book, First Samuel, story of uh, uh, Eli, Samuel, Saul, David, it's going to be a tremendous uh, book for us to study together. But we come now to this, um, uh, this time in which God is going to teach us through the life of Eli and through the lives of his sons. You know, when you read the New Testament, a lot of times God speaks to us directly uh, through words, you know, lessons. You read the epistles especially, and even the lessons from the lips of our Lord. But a lot of times, especially in the Old Testament, you learn the lessons in just watching the life of an individual. And I think that there's a lot to that. You know, even today, you can probably think of individuals who you know are are, are good examples and you learn from their life. You can also probably think of individuals who are bad examples and we learn from their life. My prayer is that we would take this lesson especially so seriously as we learn from the life of a man named Eli. Eli was the high priest of Israel. Eli was in a place, uh, a unique uh, man, so much responsibility. But unfortunately, Eli did not take that position seriously. And as a result of that, he becomes a, a bad example. Because notice what you read in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It says in verse 12, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom was the people, with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. And then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. And so they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. The first thing we see today is a lesson through Eli's sons. Eli's sons. Now keep in mind, you guys, Eli was not simply a priest. He was the high priest, one of thousands in Israel. And one day, his eldest son would, you know, supposedly be the next high priest of Israel. And so when you think about that, you're like, well, what's going to happen to the kingdom? My son, one of these two corrupt sons, will be my successor. And so we read here that they were corrupt, but we read in verse 12, notice again where it says, there that they did not know the Lord. Now they were corrupt, literally, that means they were sons of Belial. Paul uses the same phrase in Second Corinthians chapter 6 in reference to the devil. They were sons of the devil. They were corrupt. They were wicked. They were there in the position of leadership, and they did not even know the Lord. It's a heavy thought when you think about this. And, you know, you wonder, how can this happen? You know, how can an individual be in a place like this and not even know the Lord? Well, we know this, and it's a, it's a hard thing. You know, for those of you who are Christians, you know, raising your children, you know, how is it that sometimes, you know, you're, you're a believer, 
and they're, and they're not a believer, especially for those of you who have raised your children in the ways of the Lord since day one. How can this be? Well, we know that our children have a free will, right? And sometimes, man, the best Christian parents can produce the worst Christian kids. That happens sometimes. But most of the time, I would say oftentimes, Christian parents, even Christian parents, are simply not good parents. And such is the case with Eli and his sons. You read in verse 13 through 16 the things that they did. You know, imagine that, man. You know, remember back in those days, they would go to the tabernacle there in Shiloh. And, you know, you would go to the tabernacle and you bring your sacrifice to God, you know, and there you are. But then the priest comes and he says, give me your meat for the priest to barbecue for themselves. You know, and there you are. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I brought this sacrifice to God. You know better, right? You know, uh, number one, that the fat always belongs to God. You know that. You know Leviticus chapter 3, verse 16. All the fat is the Lord's, the Bible says, right? But, you know, the representative of God says, no, give it to me now or I'll take it from you by force. You know, it's awful when you think of what they were doing. You know, just as a real quick side note, okay, the fat belonged to God, okay? Back then, they didn't understand it. They were like, oh, but I want the fat. It's so good, you know. Do you guys remember how that was? Maybe for those of you who are a little older, remember how we liked the fat? We would eat the fat. And then eventually as time went on, we found out what? That's, that's not good for you, huh? <laughs> Sometimes we're like that with God. We're like, man, God, why do you want this? Well, why is it that I can't do that? And we don't understand. One day we'll understand that all those things that he prohibited us from were only things that would have hurt us. But anyways, back then it was real simple. Leviticus 3.16 said, all the fat is God's. And here you have these corrupt priests. And they sent evil men to do their dirty work for them. That's how base they are. They say, no, give it to me. I'm going to barbecue it for the priests. You know, and there you are. And, and at other times, you know, when you go, you offer your sacrifice. There's a, a portion. The way that it worked with certain sacrifices is there would be a portion for the priests. There would be a portion for the Lord, and there would be a portion for you to grub on, right? Um, and, and it was cool. As a matter of fact, it's, it's real interesting. When you would go to the tabernacle and you would, you know, give to the priest the, the breast and the, and, the, and the thigh, you would, you know, then give to the Lord what belongs to the Lord, depending on the sacrifice. But whatever was left over, remember we talked about this? You would have a barbecue with your family. You would have a celebration. But what would happen is there you were, and you're boiling your meat, and here comes this dirty, you know, rat, man. He comes with his three, you know, pronged hook and he just puts it in there in your, in your, in your soup. And he, whatever, he, whatever I get, man, this is for me. And he takes away from, from you. See, this was the sons of Eli. This was the corruption. You know, and there you are and you're, wait, wait a minute, man. I know better than that. Leviticus 7.34 says that the priest is allowed to have the breast, the breast and the right thigh. That's it. Why are you taking more? They were violating what? The word of God. Eli's sons were wicked. They were corrupt. They were worthless. They were sons of Belial. They were wicked. And there are leaders that are still like that. You know, so often we see leaders and oftentimes religious leaders who do what? They abuse their authority. They consider themselves a lot of times to be above the law. You know, and I just want to make it clear, you guys, you've got to know this. And I hope you know as a congregation that, you know, the, the final authority in the church is not the pastor. 
You know, the final authority in the church is not, you know, Billy Graham or the Pope. The final authority in the church is not the overseer or the elder. It's not the man of God. It's not the woman of God. No, the final authority in the church is the word of God because the final authority in the church is God. And if you ever see a leader abusing his or her position, violating the teachings of scriptures, I want you guys to understand that you do not have to submit to that. As a matter of fact, I encourage you to approach them with the motivation of loving God and loving the people and even loving them. You see, apparently in this time of history, there was a misunderstanding. And the priests, ma'am, the leaders, they were so corrupt and wicked and they just carried on in their sin and nobody checked them. And that's why we thank God for his word. Remember, I told you guys how some churches, when they start their church service, the pastor comes in like this. And I love that. And you're thinking, well, that sounds kind of liturgical, right? And kind of weird. Why do they do that, Manny? Well, it's a reminder that the pastor is always under the word of God. You see, that's who our leader is. He's the head of the church. Now, and I want to encourage you guys to break a bad habit that a lot of people have. You know, that's not, you know, I don't know. I don't want to use specific names, but, you know, that's not Greg's church. That's not John's church. That's not Phil's church. I don't like it when I hear Christians say, I go to Phil's church because he's the pastor. It's not Phil's church. Stop saying that, please, because we need to be reminded that that is God's church and not a man's church. You see, here we see leaders that were abusing their authority and the congregation just didn't understand that, you know, they didn't have to submit to that. There they were. It got so bad. Notice again what it says in verse 17. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. You know, what happened was the conduct of these guys made the people say, you know what, I don't even want to go to church anymore. I don't want to take sacrifices. It makes me sick. And, you know, rightly so. And that made God mad. The people were disgusted and they hated going to the tabernacle. We'll see later in verse 24 that the priest's conduct make the people transgress. And so we read as a result of that that the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. You know, and that right there is going to be an indicator of how severe this is. They were stealing from God. They were causing the people to stumble. They were not serving the Lord. They were serving themselves. They were getting fat off the flock. They were getting the meat from the masses. And the sin was very great. Why? Because the greatest evil is the perversion of the greatest good. And when people start messing around in God's holy church, then God is going to deal with us. That's why when we, you know, I was reading the other day in Joshua chapter 5, just kind of going through the Bible again. I, I love it when I read how, you know, Joshua was in charge. He was a great guy, you know, but then the, the captain of the army of the Lord of hosts appeared. Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or against us? And, the, the, you know, Jesus, it was Jesus. He said, no, take off your shoes. You're not in charge. I'm in charge. This is holy ground. And we need to always be made aware of that. These guys right here were wicked. One person said this, A wicked priest is the worst creature upon the earth. Who are devils? But they which once were angels of light. You see? 
Leaders are so accountable, you guys. Remember, Moses said to Aaron in Leviticus 10.3, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. You see, first of all, Eli's sons. We see, secondly, Eli's successor. Because look what it says in verse 18. But, and there's a contrast here. Eli's sons are way out there, man, serving themselves. But Eli, it says, ministered before the Lord. Even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Alkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. And then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. If you look real quick at verse 26, it says, And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and men. I pray we would learn as we study Eli's sons what not to do. I pray we would learn as we study Eli's successor what to do. This guy named Samuel, he's really cool, huh? You guys remember him? For those of you who read their Bible, he was very different than the children of Eli. Uh, He undoubtedly had a different heart, and undoubtedly he had godly parents who made a huge impact upon him. From the very beginning. Remember Hannah? We read about her last week. Man, she was an amazing mom. And she poured out her heart to the Lord. God gave her a son. She gave him back to the Lord. But she weaned him first. She, you know, she really taught him the things of the Lord. And she would come and pray and give him clothes. And it's just a really cool thing when you read the story here. You see, the children of Eli, they served themselves. While Samuel, on the other hand, he served the Lord. And he had this... You know, cute little linen ephod, um, you know, that's kind of like a little, you know, I guess you could say uniform that the priest would wear. Every once in a while, others would wear it. Remember, David wore a linen ephod when he was worshiping God. And so it was a special thing that he had. Not only did he have his linen ephod, notice again in chapter 12, verses 19 through 11 and 26, that he had this awesome family. And this awesome family would be instrumental in order that he would have a powerful ministry. You know, Samuel was dressed right. He was blessed right. He had a godly mom. And he ministered before the Lord, we read in verse 18. And he grew before the Lord, we read in verse 22. You know, I think that we know huh, what a difference a godly parent makes. You know, one of the things that was interesting, and I don't know for sure how this all works, is, um, you know, you read about Eli, but you don't really read about his wife. Maybe she had died. I'm not sure. You read about Hannah, and and here's maybe a little controversy for you guys. You know, her husband, Elkanah, was he a good husband? Was he a good father? We're not really sure. We do know that they went up to the sacrifice every year. But just because you go to church doesn't make you a good father. You know, one of the things I was wondering about this guy, Alcana, why did he have two wives to begin with? You know, why? If he was such a great man, why did he have two wives to begin with? 
Another thing I wonder about him, you know, is why didn't he set his other wife, Penina, straight? Okay, you do have two wives. Okay, why don't you set her straight? Why don't you tell her to be quiet? Stop messing with your wife that you love so much. He was such a great guy. Another thing that was interesting is when they went up to the tabernacle, you know, she says, you know what, I'm going to wean him. And you know what he said? Okay, well, whatever you want to do. He let his wife, I mean, he wasn't in control. We even see later when uh, Hannah was crying, what did Elkanah say? Why are you crying? Aren't I better to you than ten sons? Okay, no, dude, you're not. (laughs) Sorry, you don't have a clue. Yeah, he went. I'm not really sure about this guy, Elkanah. The only reason I say that is because when I read about Samuel, I almost read about a young boy who was raised primarily by a godly mom. You know, and, and I guess for all of us here, thank God some of you here, both of you are husband and wife and, and you love your kids and together you're going to do a great work. Sometimes it's not always both. Sometimes it's, it's a dad and sometimes it's just a mom. But with God's grace and God's help like Hannah, you might have a Samuel on your hands. All I'm saying is that, you know, when I read this right here, I think of her influence, how she would come and, and she would sew him clothes, man. And I don't know if it was, it was the fashion statement of the day. I'm not, I'm not sure. Probably not, you know. But it was made with love, right? It was made from her own hands. And, and each year she would go and give him what she needed. She gave her son clothes. She gave her son to the Lord. She prayed for him. And she obeyed in giving the best to the Lord. You know, the Lord blessed her as a result of that. She eventually had three more sons and two daughters. And what a blessing she is. You know, you can't help but think at this point, okay, we look at Eli's sons. But then, boom, we're introduced to Eli's successor. And what do we read here? Basically, what we see here is while one is falling, the other is rising, huh? And doesn't that remind you of Psalm 75, 6 to 7, where exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. And that's what's happening, you guys. Because we see here Eli's son. We see here Eli's successor. But then notice what we read next. We see Eli's speech. In verse 22, it says, Now Eli was very old. And he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the woman who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And so he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Eli's sons, I hope we learn from that. Eli's successor, I hope we learn from that. And then there's Eli's speech. You know, and in the reading right here, we see that it says he was an old man. It says that there in verse 22, Eli was very old. Why does it say that, you know? Well, more than likely, it mentions the fact that he's old due to the simple fact that his eldest son would succeed him any day now. If Eli was an old man, he's probably ready to die. And to whom would he pass the baton on? To whom would he give the responsibility of such a great ministry? You know, think of his sons and the 
the life they were living. Eli knew, it says right there, everything that they were doing. It says right there in verse 22, And he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You know, when I see this right here, I see they were stealing from the men of God. They were sleeping with the women of God. They were stumbling all the people of God right in the middle of the ministry. And it's three things that still happen today. And unfortunately, it's not sparingly, it's frequently. You know, people stealing from God what belongs to God. You know, and I wish I didn't have to say this, ma'am, but there might even be some of you in here today who are involved in sexual sin. And might even be a leader in the church. You might have a position in the church because we see it all the time. This guy over here, he's a pastor, church thriving, sleeping with five women in the church. Just happened recently. This guy over here, he's a pastor. He's sleeping with his son's girlfriend. This guy over here, Calvary Chapel pastor, he slept with a woman in the ministry. She was involved in the worship ministry. So what ends up happening? They both run away from their families. They run away from the church. And what happens to their families? Well, they serve Satan now. It's crazy, you guys. And, you know, I just want to encourage you, man, be careful of these things. You know, Billy Graham said it's, it's, it's women and pride and money that will take a man down. And that's why we see that this, you know, this whole scene right here just breaks your heart, you guys. If you're here and you're living in this type of lifestyle, before you die, you need to repent of your sins. You know, it's a warning to us, man. And don't think, well, because I have this position in ministry that I'm exempt, that I'm going to be okay. And whatever you do, don't think, well, I'll be all right by myself. If you're struggling in sexual sin or whatever it might be, make yourself accountable. Be transparent. Tell somebody. Because obviously it's something you can't overcome on your own strength. But the thing that just kind of trips you out on this is what does Eli do? Eli talks big deal see that's where he messed up it's just Eli's speech he asked them there in verse 23 why do you do it why do you do it because they're sinners man they're wicked they don't fear God they don't love God why are you even saying that he says there in verse 24 don't do it <laughs> he says when the sin is simply against man then you've always got someone to appeal to but when the sin against God there's no intercessor left you know, and, and I don't mean to be mean, but you guys, how foolish it is at this point in the game to be giving these rebels a reasonable speech. Didn't he hear? His sons don't fear God. And the speech would not reach these kids, you see. What happened in Eli's life was he was not willing to discipline them. And God, therefore, wanted to kill them. There's a really good verse if you want to go over to Proverbs 29 real quick. And I just want you guys to look at this. Proverbs 29. And I do encourage you, read your proverb, man, every day. Keeps the devil away, you know. <laughs> it says right there in Proverbs 29, look at verse 19. A servant will not be corrected by mere words. For though he understands, he will not 
respond. And so there you are. And, and this is how you discipline your kids. You talk to them. You reason with them. You yell at them. You lecture them. And you do not help them. See? David Guzik said parents would be better off to yell less. Unless there's a fire in the house, okay? <laughs> yell less, lecture less, and to take sensible action more often, letting the children see the consequences of their disobedience. If you want to help your kids, then do something about it. Don't just talk to them. Don't just threaten them. You got to, you know, I'm not saying that we have to be overbearing here, but, you know, the bottom line is a servant will not be corrected by mere words. You got to do something. And what happened with Eli, man, is all he would do was talk. You see Eli's sons and Eli's successor and Eli's speech and then Eli's sin. In verse 27, it says, And then a man of God, he came to Eli and he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? We see here kind of like the specific of Eli's sin. What happens is a man of God, he comes to Eli. We don't know his name, but we do know his nature. He was a man of God. He was a godly man. He's clear. He confronts. And he's courageous. And it's kind of interesting. Right after we read of Eli asking his sons why, the man of God turns it around and asks Eli why he kicks the way he does. You know, perhaps there was a bit of confusion as to whom all this really belonged to. We'll see that as we go through our text here. You see, the man of God came with a word of God. Notice there in verse 27 again, you guys. Thus says the Lord, right? And he says to him, real, real, real simple, man. You know, uh, there's a lot here, but I think the main message, if you really look at this, and I think it's important for us to understand this, it, the main message is that to the man in the prominent position, you know, to live in constant recognition that this is not your work. This is God's work. It's all for him. It's all from him. It's all to him. And never, ever let it be for, to, and from any man. You see, he says there in verse 27, notice again, did I not clearly reveal myself? In verse 28, my priest. In verse 28, my altar. In verse 29, my sacrifice, my offering, my dwelling place. You know, I pray that we would always know this is the Lord's, man. This is God. This is not mine. It's not yours. It's not his. It's not hers. You, we're going to see even later, my people. My people. Eli, you're the leader. How can you allow this to happen to my people in my place? 
and my altar and my sacrifices. You know, and, 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 you know, it's not just here in these walls, you guys. When you go home, whose house is that? It's the Lord's house. And in the end, when all is said and done and all the, the, the smoke is cleared and dust is cleared, whose kids are those? It's God's. You know, what gift do you have that hasn't been given to you? Everything is from the Lord. But what ends up happening, I think, a lot of times where we can get off track, and this is my prayer that this would be a preventative study, is just constantly be aware of whose this all is. It's the Lord's. You know, and we have all been given an element of responsibility. You know, we're all leading someone. People are watching our lives. How are we living it? You know, we see right here Eli's sin. Look again in verse 29. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place? And here it is. And honor your sons more than me. You see, that, that was his sin. He honored his sons more than he did the Lord. In this case, we see... And it's hard. It's really difficult. I'm going to share with you just, you know, straight out the way it works. You know, it's hard. You're like, man, but I want to forgive. Yeah, man, but I want to, I want to extend grace. Yeah, but we're all sinners, you know. And, 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 you know, it's hard sometimes to find that balance, you know. But I, I think that the way that it works is that, you know, you got to follow the Lord. And the Lord will show you. Who is abusing his grace? And when that happens, you got to ask him, you know, you got to step down. You got to sit down. Sometimes we've even had to do it where we had to ask people to leave the congregation, fire someone, you name it. The Lord will show you. You see, because this is God's house. In this case, it's interesting to me, it was sins of grace and gluttony, right? Because they wanted the meat, man. They want give me some carne. I want some fat too. Carne asada. I don't even want you to boil it. I don't like it that way. I'm gonna put it in the barbecue, man. And what ended up happening is Eli got fat. That's what the Bible says. He was a heavy man. He died. And that's why we have to keep our appetites under control. You know, especially if you're living, you know, off of the offerings of the people. Now we need to be so careful. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? See, I'm reminded of Malachi 1, verse 6, where it says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, God says? And he's speaking to the priests who had despised his name. You know, and I can share this with you guys as um, my friends, my brothers, my sisters. When I read this text right here, I want to take it to heart in my own life. As a pastor, I want to make sure that I do my best. And one of the things the Lord's really been showing me lately is, you know, like, why would they ever come back? Why would they ever want to come back to this church? If you teach him the word. Don't teach him your message, Manny. The Bible says the fool vents all his feelings. I wish I could say this and I wish I could say that, but I can't. I have a responsibility to teach you the word. Some people like it, some people don't. The ones that are hungry for God will come back. 
You see, and, and as I read this right here, I'm just reminded of the fact that, you know, I have to be so careful when it comes to, you know, girls. I can't counsel a girl by myself. You know, I can't. I have to be so careful that I don't, you know, end up, and I like what Billy Graham said. He said, I'll never, you know, be alone with another woman except for, you know, his wife. You know, that's okay to do that. But, you know, being really careful with all those things, having those safeguards, you know, making sure that you're content. A, a lot of guys, they, the churches grow, they get greedy. You know, it doesn't have to work that way. As a matter of fact, my goal in life is to simplify my life. You know, I pray that we, that I would take this to heart, you know. Because when I read this right here, I'll be honest with you, man, I get afraid. It's a good afraid, but it's a fear of God. And I hope you guys know that I am nothing, that that man is nothing, that we are dirt, that we are wicked. Only God is glorified in this place. If you knew me, who I really was, you wouldn't want to listen to me. And if I knew you, who you really were, I wouldn't want to talk to you, man. (laughs) We're all messed up. We're all wicked. We're all impure. We're trying. We're growing. And I pray, God, that we're striving for this. But please, I beg of you, only exalt God. This is from him. This is for him. This is to him. Let's worship him. He's so good. You know, we have a responsibility to make sure that he's always honored in this place. You know, and it's hard. I have kids, you know, and I don't like spanking them. I don't like taking away my son's hats, which I have to do every once in a while. (laughs) You know, I don't like it. I feel bad about it because I'm a pretty soft guy, to be honest with you, man. But I've learned that I have to go against my feelings and I have to walk by faith. And if I need to give them a trancaso, then I'll give them a trancaso, man. Why? Because I love them. And that goes not only for my kids, but also goes for those involved in the ministry. We need that, you guys. Because what ends up happening in the end is because Eli doesn't listen, we close today with Eli's sentence. Look what happens in verse 30. It says, Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. He kind of looks to the past and he says, you know what? I had great plans for your life, but it's not going to happen. Why? Because you won't honor me, right? He says, you take me lightly, I'll take you lightly, right? He says, look in the past. And then he says, look in the future. He says in verse 31, Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place. Despite all the good which God does for Israel, And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. And one day they shall die, both of them. Crazy. You know, here we are, and, and we think we're doing them good. We're being soft. We're loving them. And in all reality, we're responsible for their death. 
You see, it's crazy. You know, uh, we need the Lord to give us that wisdom, to give us that heart of holiness, right? And what we find right here is the Lord told Eli, you know, your, your descendants after you, man, eventually they're going to le- le- lose the priesthood. We're going to see that later. They get replaced by the sons of Zadok. But, man, even, you know, your sons, your grandsons, they're going to die at a young age, the flower of their age. And it's a crazy thing. You know, we think that, that, that we sin and, and, oh, I'm not hurting anybody. Yes, you are. You're hurting your children because your children are watching the way you're living. That's why. It's not that they were going to be punished for their parents' sins. That's not the way that God is. But your kids are watching you, and they're going to do what you do. And then their kids are going to do what <laughs> their dad does. Unless somewhere in there God breaks a cycle. See, that's the heart that we have to have. We have to understand. Eli here was going to be sentenced by God. You know, taking away the dreams that God had for him. Impacting his descendants. Replacing him and then disgracing him. Look what it says in verse 34. Now this shall be a sign to you. In verse 35. Then I will raise it for myself. A faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And that's a hard thing when you think about being replaced. But that's what God will do. I'm going to replace you. And in this case, we see it was not only the sons of Zadok. We're going to see that sons of Zadok would hold on to the priesthood even through the millennial kingdom. It's pretty interesting when you read the book of Ezekiel 40 and forward. The sons of Zadok are there. It's an amazing thing. But not only that, this speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? <laughs> it's so cool. And it says in verse 36, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, Please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat, notice, a piece of bread. It's heavy. It's heavy. You know, I know, you guys, don't, don't get me wrong, man. I know, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, it, it's by the grace of God that I am who I am. I know that, you know. But I also know this. I, I will use grace, but I must never come to a place where I abuse grace. Because then, you know, all these things kick in, you know. All these things happen that we read about that God, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, wrote for us as an admonition, as a warning for us. See, parents, your grandparents, even some of you Theos and Theas here. Any, any Theos or Theas? There was a time when Theos and, and Theas could, could spank their nephews and nieces. I don't know if they can still do that. But you can be a part of the whole disciplinary process, right? You know, we have a generation that is not disciplined. And, you know, you and I, we have a responsibility to a certain extent, you know, depending on where you are, you know, to impact them for God. Because in the end, it's not that you're being mean. And in the end, you know, we hear a study like this, and it, it's not that you're, you know, you're, 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 you know, you know, you're hard-headed or hard-hearted. It's just that you and I, we have to really come to that place where we honor God, where we really, truly, totally live a life of holiness and we want, we want to honor God 
with our life. You guys, let's not live for ourselves. These guys would go in there, get the meat. They wanted it for themselves. They were stealing from God and sleeping with the woman of God. It was all about what? Their own needs, their own desires, their own wants. It was all about that. But the thing about Samuel that was different was that he ministered to the Lord. He decided, you know what? He came to that place in his life where he said, you know what? This is not my life. The life that I live, I live for the Lord. And I pray that that would be our passion, that that would wake us up in the morning and that God would give us the wisdom, the discernment. There's a lot of Christians today who cannot discern between the clean and the unclean. Why is that? Because they're not walking in the Lord. They're not walking in the light. They're not walking in holiness. God will show you if you really want to know. How many of you heard of that guy, Eric Liddell? Eric Liddell, is that how you pronounce his name? I guess he was a runner, and if I'm not mistaken, was it for Britain that he ran? He was in the Olympics. I forgot what year it was. What was that? 1942 Olympics, and he was a man with a great conviction that um, he would not, you know, I mean, he loved the Lord. He was a Christian, and so what ended up happening was his strong event was the 100-meter dash, and he was expected to win, but it turns out as the Olympics unfolded that the 100-meter dash was going to be held on a Sunday. And so what he did, the conviction in his heart was, although this was, you know, my race and this was my chance, you know, to shine and get the gold, he said, I'm not going to run on a Sunday. And so he decided real quietly and yet firmly not to run. And so he had a second chance, and uh, uh, it was the 400 meter. Now, this was not his strong event, but, you know, he went in. And right before the race, an unknown man, kind of like this man of God, an unknown man, he came to him and he slipped him a note. First Samuel chapter 2, the one that we read today, by those who honor me, I will honor. And so what ends up happening? Homeboy wins, man. <laughs> Not only does he win the 400 meter dash, but he set a world record that day and my encouragement to you is you know take these things and let's come away with a heart that says you know what lord i want to live to honor you you know maybe you're here today and you've been blowing it and you've been dishonoring god maybe you've been messing up you know what it's not over man this was written for god to change our hearts not to condemn us not to beat us up not to bury us but to lift us up and to give us a, a desire, Lord, you know what? I will honor you. And as you make that commitment, watch what God will do in your life. I'm not saying you're going to win the 400 meter because <laughs> some of you, sorry, it's too late, man. <laughs> but one day when you stand before the Lord, I have a feeling that you'll get the gold. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for your love and grace in our life. And, Lord, I pray that you would just teach us as we study about you.